0: You are listening to Fancy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fancy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for doing, and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up. The Academy has disappointed me too many times. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room. I can't remember the last time I walked out of the movie theater in such a high.
1: No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. I never count
0: the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies. And the Oscar goes to... Welcome into episode 53 of Fancy Film Ball. My name is Dill.
1: And my name is Matt, and this is a
0: show where we turn movies
1: into sports, and sports into something we don't talk about here. And today, we are going to be talking about a movie I know we've both been very excited to see for a very long time, Elemental. Both very big Pixar fans, so very happy to be talking about this. Otherwise, though, uh, otherwise, though what have you been up to this
0: week? What's new with you? So, I have traveled a lot. That's why, you know, we're getting to some of these movies a little bit late, and this episode's out a few days late. I was in Nashville. I had my first National of the Year for my job. I got to live switch, got to direct. It's a lot of fun, and I'm excited to do some more. But what about you? What have you been up to? Uh,
1: not a whole lot. I finished watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel this week. Ooh amazing final season that was so good you've been watching the idol right how has that been so far
0: so i haven't started the idol yet i'm gonna get there eventually you
1: had i thought that you had because i know we talked about it a few days ago and you hadn't but i thought Mm -hmm. that there was three episodes because i know you're gonna do three and three right
0: yep uh, episode three comes out the day that we're recording this so hopefully i'll find some time this week to get into it but i did recently finish the new season of barry which I have mixed feelings on. I love the first half. Even there's a giant tonal shift in the second half, and I really don't like the final episode, but it's when I'm excited <laughs> to eventually re-dive in whenever I do a re-watch of Barry sometime down the line and see, do I warm up to it knowing what actually happens?
1: We'll have to talk about that soon, because I am going to, now that I'm done Maisel Season 5, I'm going to uh, start Barry Season 4 Ooh. pretty soon, I think. Because I... I missed Barry Season 3 when it was out on TV. I'd seen the first two like years and years ago, um, and I just caught up with Season 3 recently and then went back to do Maisel. Now I'm going to do Season 4 pretty shortly. I'm awful at watching TV. I don't know about you, but yeah, I, I if I'm sitting down to watch something, it's usually a movie. So it takes me years to get through TV shows. Uh, oftentimes, actually... TV shows will leave the platform that I'm watching them on before I can finish them. Um, It took me a year and a half to get like halfway through the TV show Scrubs. and By the time I was halfway through Scrubs, it was gone off of Netflix and I've never finished it.
0: Yeah, I'm not really good at watching TV either. I mean, as we mentioned before, The Idol, I'm probably the person who should be watching The Idol, and I'm not, and um, I still haven't watched the final season of Atlanta, and I love the first two seasons, season three something, but I love the first two seasons, so I should be watching that, but I haven't as well, so I have some shows I need to catch up on, but we have a lot to talk about today, including some post-CAN tech predictions, so let's dive into that.
1: Mm-hmm. Never, never too early. So this week, we're going to be focusing on the technical categories of the Oscars, which means we're going to be talking about cinematography, editing, sound, and visual effects. So four categories, and we're going to blast through them, starting with my best cinematography lineup. So first off, I have The Color Purple at number one currently. I've had it at number one for a while, and I do have the Color Purple winning Best Picture. I think that cinematography would be part of a winning package alongside director and actress. Uh, Dan Lawson has been doing so much recently. He's really earned it. He's been getting a lot of hype around himself, especially with John Wick Chapter 4. Looking at the trailer, uh, it's a poorly edited trailer but the lighting looks really really beautiful and it looks like there's a lot of long takes in the film i'm not sure if there'll be long takes but there looks to be a lot of camera movement that was poorly chopped up for the trailer and if there's a lot of those long takes a lot of really creative choices with the music sequences i think that this could be just a shoe-in to win best cinematography Uh, it definitely has the pedigree that it needs and I just think it's it's going to look really stunning, really striking, very different than most other films, which is why I have it at number one right here. After that, I've got two films that I think look basically locked for nominations here, but neither of them looks flashy enough to me to win this category, and those are Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer. Killers of the Flower Moon, of course, shot by Rodrigo Prieto, and Oppenheimer, shot by Hoyt van Hoytema. Both of these look really, really strong, but what I'm getting from the trailer is it looks like more of the same from the director, from the cinematographer, not enough to be striking to a point that'll win cinematography. People are going to disagree with me on that and say Oppenheimer could definitely win cinematography. I, from everything I've seen in the trailers, I I don't see it as a win contender, but I do think it looks really, really strong for a nomination. What do you think about that, Dylan? Dylan?
0: No, I definitely agree about your top three here. I have another movie included in my top three that you don't have here, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, I think that Oppenheimer could win. It could not win. It really depends on if it gets into Best Picture because it's been a while since we had a cinematography winner that was not nominated for Best Picture. So if that misses, probably not a winner. And same thing goes for Color Purple, Kills of Flower Moon. I feel like all three of those are in Best Picture, so you know— Take your pick there, I think those are three great choices and I think there's one more as well, but I, I like this top three. Uh,
1: so yeah, I but I don't have Oppenheimer in Best Picture personally, so uh, it just doesn't really make sense for it to win cinematography. Then my next one, this is going to be a bit of a controversial one. I know a lot of people would not have Nyad at number four, but Claudio Miranda is shooting this and I'm hoping that there's some goodwill for Claudio Miranda after his snub last year for Top Gun Maverick. There will probably be a really great narrative here with the technical requirements to get this movie done, seeing as it's a movie about swimming across a large, large channel of water. There's going to be a lot of water photography, I would assume, uh, a lot of very sweeping shots, a lot of close-ups, I would guess. Claudio Miranda has done miracles with water in the past with Life of Pi, so I could see a huge narrative developing around Nyad, even if the film isn't great. I could see it make it into cinematography based on this. Then at number five, I have The Zone of Interest. And the cinematographer of this, Lucas Zal, he has two nominations before for Ida and for Cold War. And of course, Zone of Interest has insane reviews, which uh, seem to be absolutely best of the year material. But apparently, the photography in this is much more observational and experimental than beautiful. It's a lot of locked-down cameras shooting from wide angles. Uh, there's some night vision photography in here. Uh, it seems really interesting, but maybe not as traditionally beautiful as Lucas' last two nominations. Ida, Cold War, were both black and white films that were very, very distinct, very unique. Uh, but Beautiful. And Zone of Interest doesn't seem like it's going for that. So I could see this being a snub, but I can also see a really great narrative building around Zone of Interest, um, especially because it's shot in a way unlike anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, NIAD, you make a great case there. Claudio Miranda probably should have been nominated, probably should have won last year. So like you said, maybe some goodwill. And we don't always get five movies that are in Best Picture in this category every year. I mean, last year we had two critically panned yeah. movies. So regardless of how Niad does, if it's beautiful, it has a shot here. And then Zone of Interest, I agree with everything that you said. I don't think this one is in winning contention, but a nomination kind of looks good at where we're at right now. Back. At number six,
1: I have Poor Things, and I think that Poor Things could actually be a possible win contender. In my mind, this is the most beautiful-looking movie we've seen footage from so far this year, but I really wonder if the admiration for the tech elements are going to come more down to the, uh, the production design of the film rather than the cinematography, because the production design is so big, so colorful, it almost makes me feel that cinematographers might think of that as a crutch for the film that you know of course it looks beautiful because the design of the uh, the locations is so nice i feel the exact same way about barbie about asteroid city that it's very easy to snub though that type of film because the production design is where the heavy left Because the production design is where the heavy lifting is really happening. But I do think if Poor Things gets nominated, it could win. And when we see more from the movie, maybe this becomes like a surefire nomination contender. And again, if so, I could see it winning in this category. After that, I have Maestro. Now, Maestro is apparently extremely mid. But so was Empire of Light. And something I've heard from all people who have seen Maestro is... Yeah, the movie was boring, but hey, it looks really nice. It's a really well-made film, and so if it has beautiful photo- so if it has beautiful photography, even if the movie is aggressively mediocre, it could still make it into cinematography. Empire of Light, Bardo, Elvis. Sorry, Dylan. Sorry, uh, and then Dune Part Two at number eight. This is another one people are gonna yell at me for, but. The question I have here is why nominate a film that's doing the exact same thing as the last one? You can go back in this category and you don't see a lot of nominations for films that are doing the same thing that the previous film had done. And honestly, I don't see them going for Dune Part 2 when it just looks the same as the first one. Like, you've given that an award before... I don't see them doing it again,
0: and I bet that's the one that's in your top three. Am I wrong? It is the one, just because the trailer did give me a feel, but there is some new stuff there, whether it's the stuff with, like, Austin Butler's plant, where it looked like it's black and white, and yeah. some of the colors look a little bit more eye-popping on Arrakis and stuff. However, to, you know, boost your point here a little bit, we can look to just last year, where they do do a lot of new stuff in Avatar The Way of Water, and it still doesn't get in for this category.
1: Yeah, well, that's actually uh, Avatar. Thank you for giving me that. That's a great point. Avatar The Way of Water uh, was just not nominated in cinematography or score. Those are the two uh, categories that a lot of people thought, hey, it won last time. Actually, it didn't win score, but it won cinematography. And so it seemed like it should just make it in. And it didn't. It just, it doesn't happen that way. I don't think that this branch is going to go for that, especially Avatar The Way of Water was exceptional and they did so many new things and it still Mm -hmm. couldn't make the cut. So, yeah, Dune Part 2, what I'm going to keep saying is why nominate a film that's just doing the exact same thing as the first one? I see your point. They are doing some black and white photography, but so is Maestro, so is Oppenheimer, so is Poor Things. They all have bits of it that are going to be in black and white. So, um. I I don't know, man. Then I have The Killer. Not much to say on this one. David Fincher has uh, had some films get in. Jeff Cronenworth is his cinematographer. Uh, If this film's really good, it could get in. Number 10, I also have John Wick Chapter 4, Dan Lawson. Look, as other films drop, this just looks stronger. That's kind of where I'm coming at right now with this. Uh, We know now, like, past lives is not a contender here despite being a, pa- a contender in other categories asteroid city just came out i don't think it's going to make it in here i don't think it has a better case for it in cinematography than john wick so um yeah it's one of those things where it's not going to happen but as other films drop out of the top 10 this film will kind of remain as like a solid steady not happening but probably a better shot than that and the last thing i want to mention here before we move on is spider-man across the spider-verse It's tempting, but is it eligible? I don't know if it would be eligible. I'm gonna say it's probably not eligible, but I think it would be a very worthwhile nomination in this category for the way that they use light, the way that they use color, uh, the way that they use the digital camera
0: and manipulate the digital camera. Another one I wanna mention is going back to the killer, is even when David Fincher's movies aren't best picture players, They usually kind of perform well here in cinematography as well. I know Gone Girl didn't, but uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo got in here. But that is my
1: cinematography lineup. Let's move
0: over to Best Sound, and you're going to take this one. I am, and I know that I said this the last time that I had Best Sound, which was like two months ago, but hey, Oppenheimer's 1A. Dune Part 2 is 1B. Take your pick. I don't really know which one right now, but I don't think Dune Part 2 is going to win as many awards as it did the first time. and this is a category like cinematography, I think you could maybe knock it down a peg and say it doesn't need that. So I have Oppenheimer at number one, but I know the detractions for that. It's not an action movie. There's just going to be one sequence with the sound, but I am still holding on to the belief that that one sequence will be so exceptional that it will just ring in voters' minds and bring it up to the number one slot. But easily, Dune Part 2 could overtake it, or even the Color Purple, if it is a Best Picture front runner, can elevate itself up to the number one slot. I don't have Color Purple winning Best Picture like you do, so that's why I have it at number three, but it's definitely in win contention.
1: Yeah, I think your top three is pretty solid here. Personally, I think Dune Part 2 is still far, far ahead, because it's going to be loud, the soundtrack is going to be booming, we know it's not going to have sound mixing issues, which Oppenheimer probably will, because it's a creative choice, not a mistake. Uh, But yeah, with Oppenheimer, I don't know. I am a little bit more skeptical on this. Mm -hmm. I think the bomb blast scenes are going to be exceptional. The question is just, is everything else around that going to be good? Is it going to be well done? Is it going to have those tenet problems. Because the problem I find with Nolan isn't that he mixes sound poorly in action scenes; it's that he mixes sound poorly in scenes where you should be able to hear things. Right? That's the whole Interstellar issue with Michael Caine on his deathbed, but the music is blaring so loud. You know, it's it's not. I'm not worrying about how hard it will be to hear people when the bomb goes off, because it makes sense to not be able to hear them then. Uh, what i'm worried about is will he have restraint with the music in the moments where we're supposed to hear people so i don't have oppenheimer at number one but i do have it in my top five because i think that the bomb blast sequence will be exceptional uh dune part two i think we're gonna see an editing sound win again and dune part two makes sense i keep saying that dune part two is gonna win less than the first one but i still think it has editing sound and visual effects and probably makeup in the bag so uh those are kind of how i feel about dune part two right now color purple i'm gonna say not in wind contention here it's not gonna be loud enough it's not gonna be big enough but it makes sense for it to be in your top five what else do you have
0: so at number four i have killers of the flower moon this is the only movie in my top five that has been seen publicly and i mean people said it sounded good we saw power the dog a few years ago get in for very similar sound work You have the Mm -hmm. sounds of the Midwest, the desert, all that type of stuff. Plus, with it being a Scorsese movie, there's probably going to be at least one or two action sequences that will help elevate it in this case. So I think that Killers of the Flower Moon is a very good one for a nomination, but I don't see it in that winning category. I completely agree.
1: Gunshots, explosions. It's a Scorsese movie.
0: So that brings us to the fun part with this category, and that is the number five slide. I've been saying for a little bit, maybe Ferrari. They like Vroom Vroom, but Ferrari's probably not going to be a good movie, and usually those Vroom Vroom movies still don't get in when they're that bad. I know like Transformers got in, but that's when there was two categories, and so we only have one now. So Ferrari's my number six. It's just on the outside looking in. I'm taking a little bit of a swing here, and I'm going for a another war movie, and one that may have mixed buzz, but I feel like it's craft work can maybe overcome some of the mixed buzz that there is around it, and that is Napoleon. I think that they lean in enough to some of the war sequences that sound, maybe visual effects can be like a two little double nomination, or it could be completely nothing, but we are in June, why not take a swing? Because like visual effects, which I'll talk about in a little bit, Number five is kind of open out there, so why not go for something a little bit more adventurous and just say, like, oh, it's Mission Impossible or it's Indiana Jones or something. I, I don't know. That's kind of how I feel with that five, six slot.
1: Hey, I I respect it, but I think Napoleon is a wild pick here. <laughs> hey, that, 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 that's it's, what I got to do. Yeah, I, well, I respect the boldness, but... I mean, Ridley Scott's track record. I know you're very excited for Napoleon, so I'm not going to crap all over this film right now. But um, something to keep in mind, it is a war movie, but it's not a boom-boom war movie because it's set in like the 1900s. There might be some cannons going off. That could be a really good uh, point for it. But it's more swords than guns at this point. Swords Um, don't make good sounds. Swords do, I mean, they do make good sounds. They can do some of that. But I just, I don't know if I would be confident enough in it. Because, I mean, if it was, like, 2020, something like this could make it in, right? Greyhound made it in with, like, mixed to negative buzz. But yeah, I feel like it would be like calling Indiana Jones at this point. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't see Napoleon getting over,
0: like, a 60 on Metacritic. That, that's what i've been riding with for a while but i felt like you know let's switch up a little bit i mean there's been a trailer seen by some people of napoleon they said it looks good so that's what i'm going off of yeah. here rest of my 10 though these are probably better options i'm just not seeing the angle in for them at the moment the killer right now i have it getting nothing but like i mentioned over in cinematography if this movie's as good as some of those netflix shareholders say it is it can easily move up into like an acting category cinematography sound visual effects editing something uh, mission impossible dead reckoning part one maybe but this f- franchise has never got a nomination and why would they start now and then at number 10 is spider-man across the spider-verse um there's categories where this could get an outside of animation this is probably not one of them because most people even those who love it said hey there were sound issues i know they fixed them since then they have fixed but it, yeah. but at least for me I still think of, hey, Sound Issue the first time I saw it, and I don't know how voters will think. Okay, I'm going to give
1: you the one that I have at my number five, because you said you were looking for something a little bit bold, a little bit daring as your pick for number five, and that's why you went with Napoleon. But Mm -hmm. I think more daring than going with a war film that's going to get mixed reviews is a war film that has the best reviews of the year, because the zone of interest, I think, is very much worth considering in Best Sound, especially because when the initial buzz hit at Cannes, people were saying this should get a nomination for picture, director, and sound. Sound was the one everyone mentioned right away, because the whole movie is based on sound. Your entire experience of the Holocaust, of the war, comes from the way that they use sound, the way that you hear things in the distance, the way that gunshots are perfectly placed, you hear screams from across the wall. That to me, sounds like it might be a little bit avant-garde, a little bit different, a little bit too unique for a category that really leans hard on, this movie has explosions, let's nominate it. But it reminds me a lot of 2018, where we had Roma get in, uh, in both sound categories, or 21, where we had Power of the Dog. Both films didn't have out there, in-your-face sound. Uh, Which The Zone of Interest doesn't either, but it's a similar type of thing to me, uh, which is why I have it at my number five slot.
0: You make great points, I'll be completely honest. I haven't seen those comments about the sound, but now that I'm hearing that, yeah, it probably should be in my ten at least, if not even higher. One movie I forgot to mention before, Wonka, musical, but they're probably not putting two musical movies in there, but If Color Purple's not as strong, maybe Wonka, I don't know. And one other movie, I guess, just to mention it, there's John Wick, but i would probably say no uh but maybe that's just me being a hater i don't know maybe it could it has the same argument i guess napoleon has boom booms and action but i don't know i i like your zone of interest comments though but so probably when i revise these going into next month zone of interest will at least be my 10 if not higher
1: well i have the same winner for best sound and best editing which is dune part two i keep saying again Dune is not going to win everything that it did the first time, but editing, sound, feel really good to me. I mean, the first film barely won editing, I will say. It looked like it could have been King Richard up until the last moment, but then Dune won anyways. I don't think it's going to be the same this time. I think that because there's the intercutting between planets, I think that it's going to be very, very strong for a win here. So Dune Part 2, I've got as a tandem, sound, editing, winner, The Streak is going to come back after being broken last year with Everything Ever All at Once and Top Gun Maverick. Then at number two, uh, I see The Color Purple as having a big potential for very bombastic editing, as well as having an interesting dichotomy between very fast takes and music sequences and a lot of long takes. So the pacing of the editing could be really interesting, and that's why I have it at number two here. It might be very different, very unique. Number three and four, I've got Killers of the Flower Moon and Past Lives. And always in the editing category, we get films that aren't necessarily in here for the editing, but are in here because they are picture win contenders. And that's what I see Killers of the Flower Moon and Past Lives as. Uh, They're not films that are really going to be in here as like win contenders for editing themselves, but they're in here because, you know, they're really powerful in best picture. And those types of movies always make it into Best Editing. Now at number five, I'm taking a big risk here, but fuck it. I, uh, I think that this is going to be a big surprise. Now, I don't know if this is eligible. This is one thing, but uh, I don't know if animation is eligible in Best Editing or if they would go for it. But I'm going to take a big risk and say Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. There are so many films that we see every year that release early have crazy, insane buzz, and we immediately go, oh, that's, are they, is the tech branches of the Academy really going to love this six, seven months from now? And the answer is, yeah, probably. Think Mad Max, Get Out, Black Panther, Top Gun Maverick, Elvis, everything, ever, all at once, films that had that buzz, had those tech supports early on and then did they disappear no they they ended up carrying it through the year and spider-man across the spider-verse has some of the best editing i think i have ever seen that's a really bold call what do you think about a potential of spider-verse getting
0: editing i mean you said you don't know if it's eligible there's i don't think there's a reason why it wouldn't be eligible but hey who knows um i think it has a shot but it really would need to be a best picture top three movie For me, I know I said in our um, review of this movie and last week's predictions, uh, I'm not as high on this one as uh, you are. So for me, I would say it's not top 10, but I fully get if you do have it in a picture and if you do have it top 5. But yeah, editing would probably have to come along with it. However, your number 6 is what I have at number 1. So take us away with why it is missing editing.
1: Well... Oppenheimer number six right here. I think it has a great narrative for editing, even if it misses Best Picture, which again, I don't have Oppenheimer in Best Picture. But that said, the, the narrative here is really compelling. It's a movie that has big sound which is always good for the editing category. And it cuts a lot between time periods. It cuts between perspective, uh, objective and subjective perspective with the color versus black and white photography. That's pretty compelling, but um, I don't know. I just am kind of expecting Oppenheimer to underperform across the board. And I don't know what I would take out here. I wanna make a big swing with Spider-Verse because I think that it deserves it. And it feels like the type of movie that would make it in as, like, a Mad Max-type contender. Uh, I don't know. So Oppenheimer is just outside, but... There's a very compelling argument for putting it in over top of something like Past Lives, Killers, Spider-Man, Color Purple. Honestly, I think the only film that's locked in editing right now is Dune Part Mm 2. And I could see Oppenheimer making it in there too. Now, a couple of other ones here. The Holdovers is one that I see as a potential editing nomination if it is a top three Best Picture contender. The same way that Killers of the Flower Moon, Past Lives, are in here because they are very, very strong Best Picture contenders. If the holdovers is that, it could make it in here. If not, don't count on it. Uh, At number 8, I have Air, which is pretty interesting because I don't have Air in Best Picture, I don't have it in Actor, but Let's say AIR does make it into Best Picture. What is one of the easiest nominations to come along with that? And I would say it's editing, because it's a very quick film. It's a very uh, sharp film with the edits. There's a lot of editing happening here. Plus, I'm going to be honest, the editing category is pretty uh, They're pretty lowbrow. Not lowbrow. They're. And I'm going to be honest, the editing category is pretty midbrow in the type of films that they like to nominate. So something like AIR... Feels like something that they would go for i mean they've nominated like green book in the past uh, they don't really go for the artsy films they really go for the crowd pleasers here and air makes sense there then at number nine and ten i have poor things and the zone of interest these feel like they might be an artsy passion pick where i just said air would be a more populist pick for this category which they go with a lot but sometimes they go with those artsy passion picks uh, like the favorite back in 2018 so it's possible that these could make it in here but I don't think that they
0: normally go for films like this oh most definitely and I think that if May December does become Netflix's main push and it's getting a lot of love above the line maybe this is a category we can kind of sneak in like Tara did last year I do agree though if Ferrari's in sound editing could be potential And you mentioned how the editor's branch doesn't really care about, you know, how critically loved your movie is. I mean, don't look up got here. So maybe dumb money could as well in that sort of fashion. But that movie would need to be a player somewhere else. It wouldn't be a lone editing nomination. It would need to be like popping up in like a picture or a screenplay as well to uh, be in the conversation here.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and this is a category where sometimes we see a film that's not in Best Picture make it in here, so I could see that happen, but I'm not counting on it right now. I do have my entire top five in my Best Picture lineup as well.
0: Alright, that brings us over to Best Visual Effects, and this is the easiest award for the year because Dune Part Two. Here is your award if you lose everything else at least you're walking home with this one because avatar the way of water did it dune part 2 is going to do it as well
1: absolutely if you got anything else other than dune part 2 you gotta check your eyes my dude it's just uh it's just what's going on that's just it. what's happening it's undeniable
0: and speaking of undeniable Marvel, they proved that last year they're always in the race. Regardless if they get visual effects society, they're still getting in. And that's why at number two, I had my Marvel slot. And we know it's not Ant-Man. It's probably not the Marvels. It's most likely going to be the one Marvel movie that's probably going to be a both critical and audience success while also making money. And that's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yep, yeah, great pick, great pick number three and four is where you know i have a little bit of controversial picks but hey that's what june is for and visual effects is a category which this year looks kind of tough to pick after you get past number two so i do have oppenheimer getting in yes it's not gonna have much but it does have something and that's something i think can carry it a long way and at number four let's bring you over from sound Double nomination, like I talked about over there. We have Napoleon. Same sort of things. If it's not in sound, it's not here, but I think they go hand in hand. I don't I don't think this movie's just getting one. It's two or zero. I'll tackle both of these a little bit. I've talked a lot about Oppenheimer's visual effects in
1: the past. I just think that the way that they're marketing this as Nolan saying, we didn't use any any CGI. This is all real. It's all in camera. That's going to kill it in this category. And Napoleon... I guess the thing that I see here with Napoleon is, like, what visual effects are there going to be outside of, like, again, background replacement. But that happens in every single movie. There's not really going to be any big characters that are done through CGI. It's just going to be making battles look bigger, which we see every single year, and it doesn't typically get nominations. So, I don't know. I would combat those two, but I think you're first two are really really strong picks but
0: uh, these two just don't feel like nominees to me I totally get that I mean Oppenheimer for me is going to be more of we love in these other categories let's throw it another bone somewhere else and I fully get this may not even be shortlisted but I would say they yeah, it makes a shortlist it has a good shot yeah but that doesn't happen with the
1: effects you know like last year they could have done that for everything ever all at once which had a lot of visual effects but they, they didn't throw it a bone there even though they loved it mm-hmm. uh, and it you know I mean, Dunkirk is a great example to go back to. Dunkirk didn't even make the shortlist, uh, and that one had more explosions than Oppenheimer's
0: going to. Fair enough. Number five is one I think you and I will agree on, and that is yes. a solo VFX nomination going to the creator. And to make space for that, we had to axe Little Mermaid, Indiana Jones, because hey, these movies came out and. While some people love them, some people don't, and they probably can't overcome the hate. While the creator just has to say, hey, we're just a movie, but we have this one aspect that is great.
1: Yeah, the creator is a great pick. Uh, Gareth Edwards, he knows what he's doing with visual effects. The trailer,
0: I don't know how I feel about the film, but the visual effects look absolutely stunning. And then we have Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among these. I know when we talked on our review, we both said that we kind of liked the VFX, but... There's a lot of people out there who say they look bad. So, to what? me, it could be shortlisted. Oh. But, yeah, almost every review I've listened to this movie mentioned, they thought VFX were the weakest part. But, you know, really? we liked it. So, we know we're the smarties here. Number yeah. 9 is a movie that I think that definitely could get in. I just want to see something from it first. And that is David Fincher's The Killer. If it's popping up in score or sound or editing visual effects, probably could come along with it. And rounding out my 10 is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. It's just here because I need something here. Barbie's a no. Uh, I'm not putting multiple Marvel movies in my list. DC, yeah, right. And um, I guess, I I know you'll talk about Spider-Verse, but to me, I'm going back to 2020, if Soul couldn't do it in an empty year, how is Spider-Verse going to do it in a year where there's actual competition?
1: Well, the reason there would be that Soul almost got in Uh, And yes, it was an empty year, but it was so close. And the difference is, Soul wasn't revolutionary. Spider-Verse completely... Like, they built new technology for Spider-Verse to make this happen, to um, adjust the way that they did frame drops, to... um, Yeah, like every single part of this film is just so, so well thought out. I think visual effects people will really resonate with the technology that was created to make this film a reality. A lot of it was created for the first film, but it was really perfected on this film. So I think that's a great argument for it. I could really, really see them doing a presentation on this and being like, these are all the ways that we had to shift the way that animated films are made in order to make this work. Um, I don't know. Question mark if it's eligible or not, but I think that if it gets shortlisted, it gets nominated. That's the way I see it, but the shortlist is really the issue there. Other things that I want to mention, uh, Rebel Moon just had some footage released and it looks really, really strong. Um, I mean, we have a pretty barren year for a lot of visual effects, And even if Rebel Moon is kind of not great, if the visual effects are really, really strong, it could get in here. Now, we've never had a Zack Snyder movie get into visual effects, but he's got to eventually, right? Like, someday he's going to get in, and maybe Rebel Moon is the one to do it. Otherwise, poor things... Might be a shortlist contender. I wouldn't say it's a nomination contender, but the visual effects look really interesting there as well as Wonka I assume will have quite a bit of visual effects in the same way that something like Napoleon or Indiana Jones or the killer would I would say Wonka would have some stuff too Uh, and a Netflix movie That's gonna get some poor reviews, but will probably still be worth mentioning here is spaceman. That's gonna have a lot of gravity effects some, I think that there's a giant spider in the movie which might be kind of interesting to look at. It'll probably get bad reviews, but it might be worth mentioning for visual
0: effects anyways. So for everyone out there, definitely let us know down below what things you agree with, which things you disagree with. We love to see it, and we love interacting. Make sure to come back next week, though, because we'll be diving into our next set of predictions. And Matt, just to remind everyone out there, what will we be talking about next week?
1: Ooh, next week we're going to be talking about the crafts. that score, Ooh. song, costume design, production design, and best makeup and hair. And I'm so pumped to talk about, uh,
0: because I think I get to talk about music next week. Spider-Verse is winning score. However... It's time to talk Elemental, and Matt, take us away.
1: So, Elemental is out in theaters now, and it's shockingly polarizing. Actually, I think this is maybe the most we've disagreed on a movie on this show ever. Maybe the most Mm. ever. Uh, Maybe Blonde, I think we might have disagreed on more. (laughs) But uh, some critics seem to really like it, and other critics seem to think it's pretty mid, bringing it all the way down to the same Metacritic score that Lightyear had last year. Dylan and I fall we are complete opposites on this movie. So before we get into talking about specifics about the film, let's just give our general thoughts on the movie so that going forward you kind of know where we're both coming from and you get our thoughts out of the way rather than piecing them together as we go. So Dylan, I know this is one of your favorite movies of the year.
0: Let me know why. I mean, it's really hard to put to words. I'm in the process of writing a, like, word review for this for a website, and I'm just like, where, where do I begin? It just, there's just something about the story and about the characters that just connected on an emotional level where I felt like I've been through this or I know someone who has been through this, and um, there was little steps here and there. I was like, I've been in that exact same situation. I just felt it was very much handled with care. It was funny. It was romantic. I mean, I'm a sucker for a good rom-com, and... This movie really delivered, at least for me, on the drama side, on the romantic side, on the comedic side, and it—I felt like it flowed pretty well. The pacing was great, and didn't feel like an hour fifty. It felt like sixty to ninety minutes, and maybe this is coming in with like lower expectations after hearing almost everyone talk bad about this movie for like the last month. But to me, I don't really see where that angle comes from. So I'm really um, interested to hear your thoughts here, just because I know that we disagree a little bit, but um. Overall, I thought the animation looked very great, and I fully bought into the romance between these two characters.
1: On the other hand, I personally felt that this is one of the weakest movies that Pixar has ever done. And I'm a huge Pixar devotee. I mean, look at my wall. I literally have posters that are just... It's Pixar. I love Pixar. Pixar, I think, is uh, the greatest storytelling company in in the world but ever since 2015 i feel like there's been a progressive dreamworksification of pixar even with some of their best movies coco feels less like a pixar movie than a dreamworks movie it's still exceptional but i just don't feel that same pixar feeling that i got all those years ago in the the 2000s Their really really great run of films Um, The ideas are a little bit less cutting-edge, the themes feel a little bit less poignant to me, and Elemental feels like a bit of a rehash, not just of Pixar's stuff, but also of many other studios, DreamWorks, Disney. uh, Like, I mean, it feels like a bit of a ripoff of Zootopia in my mind, but the reaches that need to be made to see the elements as people and... Like, it feels like Pixar's scraping the bottom of the barrel. For a long time, there was a running joke people had about Pixar where they'd be like, "Oh, this movie is it it's about food, but the food has emotions." And it feels like Elemental is kind of fully realizing that joke where they've just run out of things to give emotions to, and now they're like, "What about earth, wind, air, and fire? How about we gave them emotions?" Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I also felt like it was a bit of a waste of a setting. Like they established this city that has so much potential, and then they barely explore it. That kind of hurt me a little bit, because I was like, wow, there's so much that they could do in Element City. They could go so many places, and I felt like they really, really stayed in one or two areas. And it made me think about how Zootopia did that, where Zootopia really explored different neighborhoods. It showed you the differences between neighborhoods. There was a lot of traveling, whereas this one mostly stays in Firetown and then kind of goes to a few other places for just, like, a minute or two. Um, and I just felt like it was a bit of a waste of, of a really potentially interesting setting. Dylan, you've told me that this is one of very few movies that have ever made you cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, one of three, I think, was the number you gave me. And I definitely didn't get hit emotionally by it, but what did you feel about this movie hit you emotionally in that way? And, like, thematically... What did you resonate with most in this story?
0: So I guess I'll give the rundown of the movies. First, we have Coco. You can probably guess what scene in Coco. Then we had Avatar The Way of Water. And there's like three scenes in that that got me. And then now we have this. And it was thematically, it would be the romance between these characters of how everything is against them. Yet they their love for each other and their appreciation for one another, which I think this movie does a great job of really rings true and it was uh this is a spoiler uh review it's in the thumbnail we didn't really mention at the top but hey spoiler discussion get out if you haven't seen the movie okay cool it was when they came to first touch the first time and that scene i don't yeah like i said there's a lot with this movie where i feel but explaining it is rough and that part just really got me uh there's something that you said above about this feeling like a rip off of zootopia and while Zootopia uses metaphors, this has some as well. They share some, but I think the way they approach them and they go about them are completely different. I very much was touched and very much related to a lot of what I was talking about, especially with like interracial relationships and people who are immigrants and people who are coming from very much different parts and how they kind of are taught their whole life they can't do this or they can't go that way. But then once they actually do it, the people around them understand and that they can change for the better, I felt. The, the story that was more focusing around the father was very well done. And like I've mentioned numerous times, the romance between our two leads, I feel like, was just very emotionally impactful.
1: But thematically, I think Pixar, uh, is, that's what sets them apart as storytellers. Their themes are so, so well done. And as a screenwriter myself, I think Pixar's approach to theme is really worth studying. Because they approach theme in a way where gradually they move the character to understand what the theme is and the audience to understand what the theme is too because at first we think something and then we're shown that the way that we're thinking is wrong as well as the character. Uh, My favorite Pixar movie is Up where adventure is out there is shown at the very beginning and we think, okay, that's the theme of the movie. Adventure is out there. And then by the end of the movie, we understand, yes, adventure is out there, but adventure is also what's in here. And that's actually where I think the difference in Pixar has been recently is those themes don't really feel, for one thing, they can't really be synthesized in a a sentence. I would find it very hard to synthesize in one sentence what Elemental is trying to say. Uh, There are a lot of interesting themes here, but they're more complicated. They're not as compact as Adventure is Within, right? That's a very easy, or Finding Nemo, um, let him go. You know, that's, like, the very essence of that film is just, like, let your kid grow up. Uh, And here, there's a lot of interesting things being said about uh, being your own person, exploring who you are, and letting the expectations of your family go. You know, just uh, ignoring that and being your own person, finding your own happiness. I just didn't feel like the delivery of that theme was as, like, succinct or poignant as some of Pixar's best stuff, like Up, like Finding Nemo. And at its core, Elemental has a really, really good story. It is a beautiful romance between two opposites that end up being attracted to each other despite all odds, but there's just so much stuff floating around that narrative, complicating it, where simplicity should have been used to set itself apart, Right, like I, I made this Utopia comparison where they're running around trying to fix the water problem, trying to go around city planning, trying to get the permits for all the things, and that just felt like unneeded baggage for the movie. At its core, this is like a lovely, simple story about love, as well as about the expectations of immigrant parents. That is a beautiful story, and if they kept it just as that. You know, you could have had them meet through the city planning stuff, but drop it there. I think this would have been so much more impactful as a film. I've just really, really, it lost me with all the city planning stuff. Um, Give me a story about a daughter who is wrestling with the idea of disappointing her father. That's a beautiful film. And everything else is just noise to me. And the visual style of the movie is something that's really distinct, very unique in terms of Pixar movies. I've never seen a Pixar movie that looks quite like this before. So how did you feel about these visuals and how different they were from other Pixar films?
0: I really, really like them for the most part. And I think that the opening sequence where you follow the parents who are first getting into the city, there's a lot of interesting dynamics at play, whether it's with the the way they're just telling the story, but with how you're seeing, that could be due to the animation or just the blocking and a lot of stuff there. There's times where I think, especially when you get to like the water areas, uh, I think it kind of looks a little dull and plain and whatnot, but I think everything in Firetown and when they go out to some of these more adventurous places like the tree or like the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the sporting game, I think those are all very like eye-popping sequences.
1: But now let's talk about something a little disappointing. This movie is flopping at the box office. It is the lowest grossing opening weekend for a Pixar movie ever which is so incredibly unfortunate because even though I didn't really like this movie, I thought it was pretty mid, uh, I love Pixar
0: and I want to see continued success for their original stories. I mean, I don't think there's really anything they can do. It's just the state of the box office market for animation. I mean, when's the last time an original property was successful? Because I mean, like, Yeah, Spider-Verse is doing well. That's based on Spider-Man. Yeah, Puss in Boots did well. That's based on a known character. We haven't had an original story be successful since the pandemic has started. And that's just something that will take time. For example, I even think like if Luca came out in theaters or Turning Red, it would kind of perform like Elemental and like um, Onward where it's like be right in between both of those where it probably won't do great first. We can have decent legs after that, but it's still not turning a profit. And yeah, Toy Story 5 will make a boatload of money. How do you build
1: fresh properties that people want to see more of if people don't go see the original movies? I will say, actually, with Turning Red, I think that would have been a huge hit in theaters because you look at the merch for that film, it's still selling out at Disney World. But you could say the same thing about the console. Yeah, yeah. That one became big after it hit streaming. Um, So I don't know. maybe, Maybe you're right. I guess something that has changed at Pixar in the last little bit if i'm understanding correctly is they're not as harsh at cutting projects as they used to be. They used to have a really really harsh process in getting movies made where they would just cut your movie you no know, like even if it was going well if they were like this isn't up to our standards it's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it seems like there's a little bit less harshness And they're really focusing on centering upcoming voices, which is cool, but I I think that they need to keep some of these films a little bit longer in development, work out the kinks a little bit more because the types, the films have changed coming out. They really have. There is a big, big difference just in how the stories kind of come through, how the themes come through. Now let's talk Oscar chances. Do we think this can still get into animated with the mediocre critic response and the disappointing box office? What do you think, Dylan? As Because you're coming at this, you really like the film,
0: you see why voters might vote for it. What do you think? I would say yes until we see the other competition. I think writing it off now when we don't know how other stuff will do is a big drastic overreaction because like we saw pr- earlier like ray and the last dragon got mixed reception it came through at the end of the day and i'm sure there's other examples that are just missing my head right now but like for example mm-hmm. of how do you live comes out and it doesn't hit any festival eyes may not get on it as much it could struggle or teenage mutant ninja turtles may not be as good as it looks like it's going to be wish or some of the netflix ones that aren't chicken run like we're going to have an open fifth slot no matter what and it's just will it be this or will it be something that we don't even know about the moment or is it just going to be one of the the big ones that we all assume because it's Mm animation is a category where it's never five for five you're never going to get what you think it is so far out so something's going to drop off maybe it's elemental or maybe it could be it with addition to something else but i think it's still in the conversation people will hit the animation is good and we've known in the past This branch likes movies that are well animated, even if their scores aren't the greatest, like The Boss Baby. So um, it's just going to come down to how the other competition does.
1: So let's talk about that. I'll give some of the stats right now. So Elemental has a 59 on Metacritic. In 2022, the average between all of the films was 77.8. The lowest scoring movie in best animation was Puss in Boots with a seventy-three. In 2021, the average was 78.4, and the lowest there was 71 with Luca. Actually, Ryan the Last Dragon, not mixed response. It had a 74 on Metacritic, which is very good and was stronger than Luca. 2020 was a pretty thin year for animation because of obvious reasons, the pandy, you know, for one, but the average there was still 74. That one had a few more mixed response films in Uh, best animation but the lowest were Over the Moon which had a 60 and Onward at a 61 which is pretty comparable to Elemental at a 59 right now. So that's a pretty good comparison there but keep in mind that was a very thin year a lot of stuff got pushed because you know it was 2020. The last comparable year I'd say was 2017. Which had the boss baby, which had a fifty out of one hundred on Metacritic, and Ferdinand, which had a fifty-eight out of one hundred. So Ferdinand is extremely, extremely close to Elemental, Uh, and Ferdinand opened to eleven million at the box office, which is less than Elemental opened to, and it grossed a total of eighty-three million domestic. Which we should expect that uh, Elemental will gross more than that. We should expect more than eighty-three million. So that is one angle there. So. Ferdinand, mixed reviews and mediocre box office still made it in. But the boss baby, which had also very mediocre, was a huge success, 50 million dollar opening weekend, 175 million dollars total. Uh, I'm not exactly I'm not exactly sure how Ferdinand ended up happening, but if Elemental does
0: happen, it'll be very similar to that. Not only is it draft time, It's Pixar draft time, and they had a lot of great movies. However, however, last week I did take the L, so I don't have the first overall pick. That is for you.
1: It is for me, and I'm going to be taking WALL-E first overall. I think it's a pretty undeniable first pick right here. There are so many amazing films that Pixar have done through the years, but WALL-E is one that I think stands... It's not my favorite, but I I, I think it stands as one of the best. My favorite is one that I don't think will, will go right away. I don't know, maybe you will pick it, but uh, Wally is one that I know. If I didn't pick this, you would pick it right away because it is a brilliant film. It mixes animation, live action, tells an emotional story with unforgettable characters. It's not just a great Pixar movie, it's not just a great kids' movie, it is a great sci fi movie uh, and will stand the test of time forever. It's on the Criterion collection. That's crazy that you got a Pixar movie in the Criterion collection. I would have it back here. If uh, if I had that criterion, release, but I don't, and I hopefully will very soon. But Wally is my first pick. What are you following this up with, Dylan?
0: So I am following you by leaving my favorite movie for my next roundup because I feel like I can wait a little bit. But if I don't, I'll be very upset. So I'm gonna go with something that I love and I know a lot of other people love, and that is Inside Out. I feel like this was very revolutionary for when it came out, and it still stands the test of time today. I think it's one of Pixar's most relatable films and I think it's something that regardless of your age, you can see yourself in Riley or you can see yourself as one of the emotions and you can really connect. And I think that's something that Pixar does really well is making movies that you can really feel on an emotional and a very personal level. On the flip side of that, my next one is one I don't really relate to all that much, but I just think it is a very great film. And it's, I think, one of the very few times that Pixar has been nominated for Best Picture, and that is Toy Story 3. Oh, thank God. Thank God, Dylan. <laughs> I think I know which one you're picking, and it's one I'm not really a huge fan of, so that's why I didn't take it here. But let's let you know when it happens. But Toy Story 3, I think, is great. I know that there's been a little like retrospection within the last few years where they're like is it that great i would say it is i think it has one of the best pixar villains it has one of the most emotional scenes in all of pixar's catalog Mm. not to mention a great progression for both of our lovely toys buzz and woody and this would have been a great place to stop we have at least two more so we may talk about those
1: i don't think so they totally should have stopped with So Long, Partner. What an amazing final scene of a movie. Like, I challenge anyone to not be reduced to rubble with that. For my next pick, I'm picking one of my top ten movies of all time, Up. I know that uh, Up is one that some people feel mixed on. I've heard a lot of people saying that the movie is amazing for the first ten minutes, and then it's whatever afterwards. I disagree. This is a movie that is absolutely fire from start to to finish it starts off with that emotional promise you get so attached to this couple and then you watch one of them pass away it breaks your heart and the movie doesn't end there because the adventure just begins at that point it's an adventure to discover that life doesn't end at that point that there's so much more and it's also a story about someone discovering that They didn't disappoint their partner. And that's really, I cry more at the end of this movie than I do at the beginning. When he discovers the book where Ellie has filled out all the pages saying, this is our adventure. And adventure was not out there. Adventure was inside both of us. We had a life full of adventure. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it oh my god up is one of the greatest movies of all time in my mind it is a top 10 movie for me it would have been my first pick but um, I was worried you would take Wally and I didn't think you'd take up so uh, oh, smart <laughs> that's smart man exactly exactly I I knew I could wait but up truly should be my first round pick it's a, a masterpiece in my mind and number three is another masterpiece finding Nemo uh, I've got both of them back here finding nemo i think might have the best screenplay ever written and the reason i say that is because it is so structurally tight it is so thematically strong the way that the characters are led through this story to learn the theme is just brilliant like you could study (laughs) finding nemo's screenplay and learn how to write a perfect screenplay just based on finding nemo Uh, and actually I have been taught based on that because literally in university classes when they've told us how to do structure how to work on a story they have given Finding Nemo as an example so it's not just a film that should be studied in schools it is studied in schools so those are my next two picks and I'm feeling on fire right now because I've got my top three Pixar movies right now
0: well good for you I am now going to take my favorite Pixar movie and you talk about Up making you cry well Coco did that for me I think Coco is one of the most fun Pixar movies, and it also packs a very deep, emotional, personal punch there in those last few minutes, as well as having some of Pixar's best songs. I feel like the music in this movie is severely underrated and overlooked, and to pair with Coco, I guess if you take Finding Nemo, you get one of the most iconic movies, give me... Another one of those iconic Renaissance-type films for Pixar, and that is Ratatouille. I know some people say this is their favorite Pixar movie. It's not there for me, but I still thoroughly enjoy this. I feel like it adds a whole new dimension for how Pixar can tackle some of these stories because it doesn't just rely on comedy. It doesn't rely on um, toys or rely on characters that you don't normally see. I mean, it has a rat, but the, the rat's very human, and I just love how the rat is able remy not to, you know, throw hate on him, but yeah, Remy is able to connect with so many people and able to express and follow his dreams, even though everyone around him saying, no, you can't do that.
1: Great picks. Really, really great picks. Ratatouille was one I was considering if you didn't pick it here, but instead I'm going to start off with one that maybe should be my last pick because it might not be as popular with the folks out there, but this is my number four. So I'm going to go true to myself here. Soul I Mm -hmm. think Soul is a brilliant, brilliant movie. It was my favorite movie of the year that it came out in 2020. Best movie that year. Should have been nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Talk about movies that made you cry. This is one that just made me weep. Uh, it, It feels like an entirely new understanding of life. You know, we don't have a purpose here and that's okay. That being the theme of the whole movie is just like so beautiful. Life is what you make it. And I can't think of a more impactful way of showing that through this movie. The love of music, I mean, the animation quality is gorgeous here, but this just, again, shows why Pixar is the best at what they do. This feels like a return to that very classical Pixar form that I ha- i felt has not really been there recently. So, Soul is absolutely an easy pick for me right here. And finishing off my team, I got five for five of the five that I wanted right here. I'm taking The Incredibles next. Uh, the Incredibles is, I think, this is the most fun Pixar movie. It's maybe the most turn your brain off Pixar movie out there. Uh, cars is more turn your brain off, but The Incredibles is less of like a thematically beautiful film and more of just like a you're gonna get two hours of amazing action. You're gonna laugh a lot. You're gonna have a great time. And it's gonna give you one of the best super movie, one of the best superhero movies ever made so uh yeah the Incredibles easy easy pick here there's a great villain great heroes the family dynamic is so funny it's a rewatchable movie I love the Incredibles and I'm feeling great about my team I got my top five Pixar movies all on my team right now
0: well, I love those last two picks as well. Soul is one of my favorite movies. And I think when people say, current Pixar sucks, I was like, no. Soul is a top two, top three Pixar movie for me. Yeah. Incredible is great. I was really hoping I could snag that with the last pick. However, with the last pick, I will take Monsters, Inc. Very funny. Nice. Very iconic. While for me, it's not one of my favorites, I still really enjoy it. And that's why I'm getting here in round number five. And I feel this is a really great spot for that. So, Matt, why don't you recap your team since you had the first overall pick? So,
1: for my team, I have Wally, Up, Finding Nemo, Soul,
0: and finishing us off The Incredibles. And on the flip side, I have Inside Out, Toy Story 3, Coco, Ratatouille, and Monsters Inc. So, let us know down below what you would take with the first overall pick don't forget to go out to the YouTube community tab and vote because the person who wins the draft will have the first overall pick next week. And sometimes these drafts are very close. Last week wasn't, but, you know, this one, I have a feeling that it could be neck and neck. It
1: could. It always could. But, uh, yeah, go out and vote, please. I love Metacritic scores. Metacritic scores are how I discover movies. They've always been how I discover movies. I check Metacritic every single week to be like, okay, what's good, what's mediocre, what's bad? I'm always up to date on this. One of my favorite things is predicting Metacritic scores because it can be all over the place. So what we're gonna do here is we're going to predict Metacritic scores for every wide release coming out for the rest of the summer. We're gonna be looking at some other films as comparisons and giving an over-under and guessing a score for the movie kind of where we think it's going to land. So if you like what you see definitely drop a subscription we're gonna be doing more of this through the year Uh, and let's start off with the movie that's coming out next week No Hard Feelings, the Jennifer Lawrence comedy. So for the over-under here, what I did was I averaged out 10 other raunchy comedies that have come out in the last 10 years. Uh, I selected them kind of at random, kind of based on like a little bit of what this movie looks like to me, and the average that I got there was 72. That's a little bit higher because Booksmart was in the 10, which got an 84, uh, but for the most part it might be a little bit lower if you swapped out Booksmart for something else. I'm personally going to say I think it goes under 72. I'm going to guess a funny number here.
0: I'm going to say this is a 69. You know, that would be very fitting and very nice. And I guess to say Matt, he loves Metacritic. I know nothing about Metacritic, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. But just my feeling is this: an advanced screening that happened of this the other day that people in the general audience saw, and it's getting raves. People love it. I know that's not what Metacritic is exactly, but if those people are loving it maybe reviewers like it too and if they had the like the boldness to put out uh the movie early maybe that means there's good faith in it so i'm going to go you know i'm going to go one over give me 73 mm. 73 is a good bet my
1: reason for putting it at 69 here is because blockers got a 68 and this feels like blockers to me fair enough I mean, but that I mean, said it does ring that said it also feels like train wreck and train wreck got a 75 so maybe I I think it's just in this range. Like, think Mm -hmm. 68 to 78 is, like, where it's going to be. It's going to land somewhere in there. I can't see it much lower. I can't see it higher. Um, All right, next one up, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We already have a Metacritic score for this, but not every critic has seen it. We only have 27 reviews of it on here, and it is currently at a 54. So my question here is, do we think it's going to go up when more critics see it? Do we think it's going to stay the same? or drop personally i think it's going to go slightly up i think can critics are maybe a little bit more harsh on the film than general critics will be so i think this is going to end with a 57
0: so about how many critics in total does like a film normally get oh, this one only has it in oh the 20s well, right let's now. let's see how many the flash had this
1: week or elemental let's try elemental um elemental was
0: seen by 40 critics so forty in total. Okay, so that means that means it's only about ten to fifteen more numbers that are gonna be thrown in here. Because originally I was oh, but gonna the say flash, yeah,
1: the Flash was seen by fifty three critics.
0: Yeah. Okay. Hmm. See, I was gonna go up by it. like ten, but I don't know if enough people can no. raise it that high. Because what I've been hearing though is people who have seen this movie since can like it a lot more than the people who saw that cans I was like okay if we get some 70s in here we can raise the score up a little mm-hmm. bit but I don't think we're going to get that high with only 10 to 15 new reviewers so I think your 57's right but to be different I'll go with a 58 but we both say that it's going to go a little bit higher, so that's
1: good too. Now let's move on to Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. And the score that we're basing on here is based on a, uh, a uh, an average of the last two DreamWorks movies, The Bad Guys and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. So that means the over-under here is 67. I'm going to say slightly under. This feels like a 65 to me.
0: I'm, I'm going down 50.
1: 50, wow! Do you not have faith in, in Ruby Gilman? Uh,
0: in terms of making money, not at all. In terms <laughs> of uh, yeah. people liking it, not really. But clearly, I'm, I'm not the, the Metacritic expert because if you would have asked me some scores from some movies I've looked at here so far, I would assume they would have been way higher. So, you know, if Elemental got a 59, I don't see how it could go above that. So I'm dropping like nine below. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. I just feel like this is going to be a dud across the board. I don't see it
1: being worse than The Bad Guys, though, but maybe that's coming from me not liking The Bad Guys at all, but The Bad Guys got a 64, and I think The Bad Guys is a 4 out of 10, personally. So, Insidious The Red Door, averaging out all the films in this series, you have a a low of 40 in the Insidious saga, and you have a high of 52, so the over-under here is 48, based on all of those movies. And I'm going to say it's under 48. I don't see this performing very well. I could see this being a red Metacritic score,
0: but I'm going to personally go 42. Yeah, I saw the trailer for it for the first time the other day, and it does not look good. Um, But at least looking at some of these other scores, I mean, the original one got a 52. Chapter 2 drops all the way to a 40. But the last one that came out, the last key, which at least people who I know really didn't like that, that had a 49. So I guess I'll put this around there. I mean, I guess our average is 48. So I'm going to go still under, but above you, I'll go a 45, but I'm not, I'm not very confident. I'm just looking at these numbers here and they've been one like closer to 50. There's just one that's really bringing it down.
1: Yeah. So next one to talk about is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. The over-under we're going here is 78 uh, because let's just look at the modern era of Mission Impossible. The Tom Cruise is a lunatic era, uh, which starts in 2011 with Ghost Protocol, got a 71. Rogue Nation got a 73, but then Fallout got an 86. I don't see this being as big of a thing as Fallout was, um, but I also see it being an improvement from Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation. I'm going to say this is an 81.
0: See to me, I feel like this could hit that Fallout thing. What I think will hold it back a little bit is that it's a part one, so there's a chance that this story does not feel finished at the end. Didn't hold back Spider Verse. Yeah, but you could say Spider Verse would be higher because Spider Verse is in the 90s; it's in the it's in the high 80s. Yeah, that's fair enough. So what's what's your number here? You know, you know, I'm gonna go. It, it's repeating the last one, 86. 86. Wow. Wowza. Oh. Bold. that is
1: bold okay Oppenheimer is the next one and here's Ooh. where I'm gonna get controversial so the over under we're just taking the last 10 years of Christopher Nolan which is Dunkirk which had a 95 Tenet which had a 69 nice. and uh, Interstellar which had a 74 uh, so the over under of the average of those three movies is 79 I'm gonna say under I have this at a 72 and I think when it gets a 72 on Metacritic the internet's gonna have a meltdown
0: what was interstellar's again 74 74 hmm that's that's interesting because i think this is a best picture player but it can't hit that interstellar that tenant range if it's being a best picture player so you know what our line is 79 i'll say it hits the line 79
1: 79 nice yeah and that i don't have it as a best picture contender which is and the reason i don't is because i see it getting a 72 yeah like low 70s and that doesn't feel like enough to get a 3 hour biopic into best picture. So, 72. Now, another controversial one we're going to talk about here, Barbie. The over under for this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to say because if we're looking at uh the average between Greta Gerwig's past two movies, Lady Bird had a 93, Little Women had a 91. So, the over under here of the average of Greta Gerwig's films is 92. It's a clear under a clear under, but I'm going to make an even more bold statement. I think that this is going to be critically mixed. Um, I think that this is going to get a yellow Metacritic score,
0: so I'm going to put it at a 58. See, I am not going to go that low. I'm going to put it at an 80. Uh, I know LEGO Movie isn't a great comparable, but hey toy that we know made into a movie that we think is fun and engaging lego movie got around an 80 it was a little bit higher so i'm t- shaving a few points off and put it here at an 80 but you know i don't think you're that crazy i think there's a chance where this can go super low but i don't see a chance for this to go super super high
1: cue everyone going to the comments and yelling at me about uh, expecting barbie to not perform very well um yeah
0: so you know that's what? You know what? I'm adjusting it to keep the meme going. Uh, Barbie in 780, it's a 79. I want it to be the same as Oppenheimer.
1: Oppenheimer, keep the meme going. Yeah, I think my my big bold prediction is I think that there will only be losers in the Barbenheimer War, I think the big winner is going to be Mission Impossible. I I don't think Barbie or Oppenheimer will really win the battle between them. I think they're both going to underperform a little bit. And I'm going to be sad about that because I'm excited for both films. Next, though, let's talk about a film that we can't be surprised at underperforming. This is Haunted Mansion. Uh, We're going to take Jungle Cruise as the over-under here. That got a 50 on Metacritic. I'm going to go over that. I'm going to say this is a...
0: 52 i was trying to look at how long this movie is because i feel like the runtime could play a part of this and and finding that i see that the budget is 157.8 million dollars a yikes um i guess you got to pay jared leto to be a ghost but um i'm gonna say it's gonna be higher i think jungle cruise was a pretty bad movie and everyone kind of agreed and i think the trailers for haunted mansion looks pretty good and it won't have the stakes of like oh it's the rock uh the rock movie has to sell and this one and i think this one could be a little bit higher so i'm gonna go with a 60. nice that
1: makes that makes sense to me i'm cool with that prediction so a little bit of a fun one here meg 2 the trench The new Shark movie, the first one got a 46 on Metacritic, so we're going to stick with that as our over-under. I say over. I think that this film is more promising. It looks like it knows what it is. It looks like it knows that it's silly and stupid. Uh, And the director is Ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley did some very, very fun action movies. He did Free Fire. He did A Field in England, High Rise, um, as well as the Rebecca movie, which I think is his... One movie that is just not very fun at all. So I'm going to go over 46. I'm going to put this at a 54.
0: I am going under. I think the first movie also knew what it was. And clearly they didn't, weren't very responsive to that. And I've heard from, I guess, Twitter accounts and Reddit accounts that are in the industry that the test screens for this have been bad. So I'm going oh. with a 40.
1: Oh, man. That's... I'm going to choose not to trust the test screenings on this. Fair enough. So next up, one that I know we're both very excited for, TMNT Mutant Mayhem. It's from the same team as Mitchell's versus the Machine, so let's go with that. 81 is the over-under. Going slightly under with that uh, and saying 75. But if we're talking previous Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, way over, way, way over what those ones scored. Because what, what did the past Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles get? Probably not good. <laughs> so the last Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie got 40. Oh my god, it got a 40. And the one before that got a 31. Um, Yikes. That's crazy. Yikes. Wow, that's crazy. So yeah, if we're looking at 31 and 40 is the previous, this is going so high over it. Because uh, I'm going to put it at a
0: 75. I know when we were talking about the over-unders that we're setting here... We mentioned Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, which you know, similar animation style like that, and that only got a 73, which really surprises me due to the praise that it was getting in a lot of places. So you know what? I'm just gonna say the same thing, but a little bit lower. I'm gonna go a 70 with this one. Nice, nice. That's a good, good, easy one right there. So
1: we're both under Mitchell's versus the machines, but over Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But for the next one, Gran Turismo. This is a funny one. This is directed by Neil Blomkamp. Neil Blomkamp, he once... What a fall from grace. He made District 9, which got a Best Picture nomination, had an 81 Metacritic score, and it's all been downhill from there. Uh, So we're averaging out all of his movies. He's District 9, 81, Elysium, 61, Chappie, 48, and... I can't remember the last one that he did but he did a horror movie and it got a red Metacritic score so the over under here is 48 I'm going to say under on this I think that this is going to underperform 48 I'm going to give it a 47
0: you know this I have nothing to go off of here but the trailer it kind of actually looks fun I saw it I know we joked about it once on the show before but I actually watched the trailer and it looks it looks kind of good so I'm going to say over 55 55 good bet now
1: horror movie for August, Last Voyage of the Demeter. Uh, Let's go off of Renfield, the other Dracula movie that released this year, which got a 53 on Metacritic. I haven't seen the trailer for this one. I don't, I know it's more serious than Renfield was, but I'm going to go under Renfield. I'm going to say this gets a 51
0: I don't know what to think about this movie, because the trailer does not make it seem like it's a Dracula movie until, boom, Dracula's there. Um, It just seems like a shipwreck movie. So, I don't really know where to go, and if Renfield got a 53, which that seemed like is pretty critically panned, but a 53 is kind of good. You know what? What did I give Insidious before? Insidious, I gave a nice, juicy 45 to, let's say... This is forty eight. I don't know. The 48. trailer looks kind of the trailer looks kind of good, but I it looks it doesn't look like it should be a Dracula movie. It's just Dracula's roped into it because they need to sell a name.
1: But another company that's going all in on their properties, DC Warner Brothers, is releasing Blue Beetle. Uh, now the over under we're going with here is fifty four because we're going Shazam seventy one, uh, Shazam two at 47, Black Adam at 41 and the Flash at 58. So the over under is 54. I'm going to say Blue Beetle slightly under 53.
0: Well, I I haven't given a red yet. Let's give a red here, 38. 38. Ooh, that would be that'd be a killer.
1: For this, this new dc property
0: i'll take the hate of people you know if you made it this far you can drop a comment down below you can give us a thumbs down here this movie looks awful and i know there's people out there who say this looks great this looks this trailer is i think my least favorite trailer i've seen in years and a black adam got a 41 i don't see this being about black adam
1: okay yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me i haven't seen the trailer for this i haven't gone out of my way to watch you're it you're lucky you're lucky but it um, in front of i probably movie. I haven't seen it in front of any movies. That's so weird that like I like I have not come in contact with this trailer and I've got to see a ton of movies. Next up, Strays. This is from the team behind Good Boys, which got a 60 on Metacritic. So our over under here is 60, and I'm gonna say under. Let's go 55.
0: See, I felt like there was good buzz around this movie, and then Universal kind of randomly out of the blue said, We're pushing this. And it got delayed by like a whole month and a half. Like Like, less than a month or so before it's released. So, to me, that reads that this movie might not be good. So, of Good Boys, a movie I thought was funny, but I can understand why people didn't love it. Got a 60. I'm going to drop this one a little bit lower and give it a 43.
1: Ooh, that's a lot lower, too. But, yeah, I can see this being a massive uh, misfire, I guess. And you're right, the studio strategy might be telling. Next up, though... (sighs) Speaking of, delays. I, I, speaking of delays, we've got White Bird, formerly known as White Bird, A Wonder Story. Uh, this is a Holocaust movie set in the universe of the Jacob Tremblay movie Wonder. Uh, now, Wonder got 66 on Metacritic, so I'm going to go so far under that. I think this is going to be a red. I think this is going to be known as one of the biggest misfires of the year. I'm going to give it a 24.
0: 24 is big low. Um on top of just the premise as a head-scratcher, this movie's been delayed for about like two years, it feels like. So that clearly speaks about their faith in this movie's ability. So I'm also going to go red. I'm going with a 36.
1: That's a little bit stronger than where I am, but I think that this is going to be seen as one of the worst movies of the year. I think this might be a Razzie contender. Okay, um, yeah. So I could see that really, really uh, being not very good. Now, The Equalizer 3. So the equalizer three this is our last one uh, we're doing an over under of 53 here because the first one got like maybe, 57 i don't know 57 and the second one got lower a than 50. that so 50 there we go so 53 is our midpoint here i'm going under i think this is going to continue the downward trajectory i'm going to give it a 46 see should have
0: done for the jokes and made it a 43 because that's seven 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 um i don't uh, know what to yeah. go here i also do agree that this is gonna go down from the last one but at the same time why are they making these movies again if they're just gonna keep getting worse but we talked about this in our box office when these they still movies, make money they stay consistent they've made the first one the second one made the exact same amount of money i think it's like a three million dollar difference so with that being said we have a 57 we have a 50 let's drop it down Buy seven more, give me that good old 43. So, I guess what we're predicting here is
1: not a very good summer for the movies. (laughs)
0: Because clearly,
1: thing after thing has just been yellow, 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 yellow. Do you even have a
0: green? Yes, Um, Mission Impossible.
1: We do. Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, we both agree. Uh, TMNT, we both agree, is going to be green. Um, We don't agree on Barbie We're almost in agreement Um, Yeah, yeah, everything else Oh, no hard feelings we have in a green Oh yeah God, that is not a good looking summer
0: well, that just stays in line because if you uh, remember that little summer box office prediction video that we did where we gave our top 10, you know, a lot of things are underperforming. I said like, oh, I think this summer is going to be great. And you know what? It is doing great on paper until you look at budgets and budgets have been a big problem. And I think there's just too much out at the moment and it's really cannibalizing itself. I know it doesn't really play a part into critic score, but, you know, we're looking at a lot of stuff that probably could be spaced out a little bit. So we don't have so many duds in a row. Yeah, I, I feel like some of these movies could really surprise us.
1: And some of them I'm just like, yeah, I, I White Bird, there's no way that movie's good. There's no way it's anything less than horribly offensive.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at FilmBall. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces thank you for listening to this episode of the show and come back next week